Uh, there's an old joke that uh, goes like this. There was a guy that had a bird, and it was a talking bird. Any people have birds as pets? Any bird pet people? I think they're a minority. Like cat and dog people. We don't have any. One, two bird pet people. I am definitely not a bird pet person. Um, but this guy had a bird who could talk. And the bird could talk, but there's a problem. The bird who could talk had a foul mouth. Of course, all birds have foul mouths. But this bird, <laughs> you got that one? So you got to be quick. This bird cussed and had some bad language to it. Uh, but the guy was a Christian. He tried to train the bird. I don't know how you train a bird. Uh, but he's trying to train the bird saying, you can't talk like that, you know. And he tried all kinds of discipline techniques to train the bird saying, look, you're in my house. We can't, can't have you talking like that. I have people coming over and you're cussing and saying these words. They think you're wearing them from me. You know, you can't do that. But the bird would stop for a little while and then he'd continue cussing and, and, and just the way he was. And the guy got frustrated. So finally he took the bird, shoved him in the freezer. And then closed the freezer door on the bird. And then a couple minutes later, opens up the door, takes the bird out. The bird shivering, cold. And he finally says, the guy says, you're going to stop talking like that? And the bird says, he says, yeah, yeah, I won't do that anymore. But I just got one question. What did the chicken do? <laughs> Thank you for getting that. Some of you need to lean over and tell them there was a frozen chicken in the freezer. Words. I want to talk about words this morning. We're going to look at a past description as to it. Words. Words matter. Words matter. It's amazing to me how much words matter and how sometimes words linger that matter. Let me give you an example of how they linger on even years later in our minds and in our lives. Anyone remember the 1988 Winter Olympics where they were held? Anyone remember? Not Sarajevo. That was 84. Not Seoul. That was later. Where's my Canadian friends? Calgary. That's right. The 1988 Winter Olympics were in Calgary. And here's how I know that. Because in 1988, I was in Sunday school in this church, just down the hall in one of these rooms. And I was a young man who was asked to read a passage of Scripture. And I read that passage of scripture, and I should have stopped right there. Because in that passage of scripture, I don't remember which one it was, but it had reference to Jesus being crucified at Calvary. That's Calvary. <laughs> I proceeded to say, oh, isn't that where the Olympics are now? <laughs> All the other kids in the class looked at me. And uh, gently explained, no, they laughed at me. They I was the only one who didn't know. I was so embarrassed. And here's the thing, 30 years later, I remember that. 30 years later, that's, I th I'm convinced that's why I went to Bible school and seminary, just so I wouldn't make that mistake again. I figured 10 years of school, maybe I won't make this mistake. 30 years later. Our words linger and our words matter. Our words have impact in our world. Has anyone ever in this room, anyone in this room, not spoken a word you wish you could take back at some point? Has anyone ever never spoken a word you wish you could take back? All you married people better keep your hands down. <laughs> we all have, right? We've all at some point 
said a word, sent a text, posted a status update, or something that we wish, oh, I wish I could take it back, and you have Googled, how do we erase a text message? Or something like that on how to do this, because there's at times we wish we could take some words back. And I think we all live in a world right now that's on a lot of pressure, puts a lot of pressure on our words. I don't know if I'm the only one that feels this, but I don't think I am. I think we all feel this. We all feel this pressure to be very careful about our words, to be very conscious about our words. In fact, I think if you're over the age of 30 in this room, or certainly over the age of 40, there are words you used to say as a part of conversation that you would never say now. There are words that were a part of your conversation, you would just throw it out, and you would never say it now because of the impact it might have on the people around you. And that list is constantly changing. That list is constantly changing. We're constantly trying to curate our words. We're trying to be careful about what we say, recognizing that there's consequences to it. And we kind of travel under this weight and this burden of, oh, did they, did they hear what I was saying? Did they get it wrong? Did they get... So I'm going to put a couple emojis on there so they understand I was joking or whatever it was. But words have an impact. And we labor under this sometimes. Well, not too long ago, uh, speaking of words having an impact, uh, actress Roseanne Barr sent out, you might know, a very careless tweet late at night one night. And here she was, her TV show restarted after 20 years being off the air, starts off very successful, huge audience, getting huge ratings. Late at night, she sends out a careless, thoughtless angry tweets, and the next day, the network cancels her show. Not only is she out of work, everyone that's on the show is out of work, all the camera people, all the lights people, all the writers, all out of work simply because of words, words that were spoken, words that were carelessly given. And we all know these stories. We all know it's happened. We see athletes lose millions of dollars in contracts because of words they speak. We see celebrities lose acclaim because of words they speak. And we know what happens in our lives too. That maybe you have been impacted in your job situation because of words spoken. I was in a local business recently and I happened to be looking on their kind of employee bulletin board and they had their employee standards posted there and the only one that was highlighted in yellow was no posting negative things on social media about the company or it could result in termination. Words have an impact. Words matter, and we're constantly laboring under this. I had a friend of mine recently who told me what he, uh, his policy about words, and I thought it was actually pretty good. He's a preacher, and so preachers often need to be careful about their words because they speak a lot of them, and it's easy to say something wrong, and then they're recorded and posted on the internet forever. Uh, so he, uh, he said, this is how he thinks about words now, and I thought it was really good. He said this. He said, three statements he has. He said, think about everything you say, don't say everything you think and assume everyone is going to hear everything you say. Now, that's pretty good advice. Think about everything you say. Don't say everything you think and assume everyone is going to hear everything you say. 
It's true because words are going to matter. And words will have a tendency to follow you around. I was amazed that my middle schooler, they spent an entire year in one of his classes talking about your online footprint. Talking about the internet trail that you start leaving behind with your words and your pictures and your images and the fact that you might post something online as a joke as a sixth grader that ends up showing up in your job interview one day. Or that ends up showing up when you're applying to college one day. And suddenly, middle schoolers are learning that your words have an impact. And they're also, I feel like, sometimes laboring under this burden of always having to be careful about you. Even if you're a person that says, no, I'm not a politically correct person. I don't care. I say whatever to whomever. It doesn't matter. Even if that's you, you know the words that anger people. You know the ones you'll say that, yeah, you'll say them that people are going to have a reaction to. We labor under this burden sometimes, often, I think. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why I think we all feel this burden. And the reason is because we all agree, I think, to this truth. And that is that a person's words will tell you something about who they are. That our words say something about who we are. And so someone spends millions of dollars posturing themselves in front of the public. And they spend all this time having PR people and having all these people that are just curating their image, making sure there's not a chink in the armor. And then they get caught on one hot mic that they didn't think was on and was on. And all of it gets torn down. Why? Because we think their words say, oh, that's who you are. Your words tell me who you are. A number of years ago, British Petroleum, when they had the oil spill in the Gulf, they had this happen. They had this oil spill where millions of gallons, you might remember, it spilled oil into the Gulf, and it was this disaster. And the next couple days, they came out with this amazing PR campaign, campaign, how we love the Gulf, we love the people of the Gulf, we care about it, we're going to clean this up, we're going to make this right, we're going to do it, you know, BP cares and all this, and people were starting to, you know, no one liked it, but hey, you know, you do what you can, you buy into it, until their CEO got caught on a hot mic saying, I just want my life back. And everyone said, oh, you don't really mean those things, your commercial said. You just want to live your billionaire lifestyle again. Because we understand that the words that we speak actually say something about who we are. It's something the Bible makes clear too. In fact, in James chapter 3 that we're going to look at this morning, it has some words about words. James and, uh, tells us about how important our words are. He uses the tongue as the example, talking about how powerful they are. So we're going to look at this scripture, and James is going to talk. James, again, just to refresh, is writing to some Christians in the early first century church, talking to them about what it is to be a Christ follower in the midst of their world, in the midst of their society. And honestly, their world and society wasn't a lot different from ours. They were trying to live their life for Christ in the midst of a larger society that did not live for Christ. And uh, they came out of places and worked in places that did not glorify Christ, did not honor God, and James is telling them how to live in the midst of that. And so he gets to chapter 3, and he talks to them about their words, the words that they speak. And he's going to see, he's going to first talk to teachers, 
And then he's going to talk about how all of us, none of, uh, and all of us have problems with controlling our words. He's going to give some examples of how powerful the tongue is and then uh, talk about what it's supposed to be like uh, in our speech. So here's how it is, James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What we learn in this chapter from James is a couple of things that we've already said. One is that our words tell us who we are. James says, out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. This not not be so. It's, he gives the example of fresh water coming from a spring. You either draw fresh water or salt water. And what you draw tells you who the spring is, what the spring is like. You either pick figs or olives off a tree. And what you pick off the tree tells you what the tree is like. And the words coming out of your mouth tell people who you are. But I think what we also learn from this chapter, and maybe this is a little bit more scary and frightening, is this. 
God is watching your words. God is paying attention to your words. God cares about your words. And here's why I'm wondering if that's a little more frightening because I just spent a few minutes talking about the burden we all labor under just thinking about other people who pay attention to our words. And the internet that never forgets your words. And friends who remember your words. And enemies who definitely remember your words. And other people who, who remember your words. And it follows you all the day of your life. So now we have a passage saying, you know what? Not only that, God remembers your words. And God's paying your words. So now we've raised the stakes even more. He said, well, not only do you have to worry about your words coming back to you in a job interview or a college entrance, you know, interview, now the stakes are raised even more. Now it's not even this life, it's eternity you got to be concerned about because your words are being paid attention to by God. Now that could be a heavy burden to labor under, and I'm not here to add to your burden this morning. So there's got to be something else that's being said here, and I think there is. There's a second truth. Not only do your words tell people who you are, but your words tell about whose you are. Your words tell about whose you are. And so we have the example of the fig tree. And if a tree bears figs, it's because it's a fig tree and it's faithful to its essence. And if you and I are in our essence, followers of Jesus and committed to God and love God, then the words, in this case, James is saying, is the fruit that comes out of your mouth will be consistent with that. That your essence will be consistent with the words that come out of your mouth. That the fruit of your life will be consistent with the roots that are in your life. And that Maybe pretty simple, and you say, okay, but that really doesn't help me because I'm still having to monitor and curate my words. I'm still having to be careful about what I say. Not only do I have to be careful about what I say when no one's listening, now you're telling me I got to be careful when I'm saying when I'm home alone and I'm just me and God, and, and God's listening and eavesdropping on me and waiting for me to say a poor word, and He's just going to come down on me, and you know, and now I'm constantly thinking about am I saying the right thing? Am I thinking the right thing? Well, I think there's some grace here in this passage. And here's where the grace is. If our words tell people not just who we are, but whose we are, then when our words are inconsistent with a person's life who follows Christ, the problem isn't that we need to fix our words. The real problem is we need to check our relationship with God. The, for the Christian, your work and your job is not to say, I need to curate my words and get my words right and always have my words right and always have my messaging right. No, the words are just a bellwether. The words are a canary in the coal mine. The words are a symptom and not the sickness. The words are not essentially the problem, they're just a signpost saying that there is a problem. If my words as a Christian are not consistent with a person who follows God, then it's not my words that are the problem. It's my heart that's the problem. And then if I would 
pay more attention to how close I am to God than the words of my mouth would change. You say, well, how do you know that? Because a fig tree bears figs, and an olive tree bears olives, and a salt water pond has salt water, and a Christian brings forth words that are consistent with someone who follows Christ. And this is the way it should be. See, so many times, I think, in our world, people will say a wrong word, and their solution is, oh, now i got to say the right word. i got to get my messaging right. Instead of, well, what's the larger problem that needs to be fixed? A little earlier this year, another instance that happened in a corporate situation, remember the Starbucks thing? Back in April, I think it was. Was it April? The Starbucks situation, right? So Starbucks in Philadelphia had this situation where they had, you know, uh, taken these uh, two young African-American guys who were just sitting there, mind their own business. They had them arrested and thrown out. And, uh, and the whole instance, you know, blew up. And, you know, what's, you know, what's the... Starbucks, I, I don't know Starbucks that well. I don't know much about them. But I thought their response was interesting because they didn't just say, oh, we need to get our messaging right. At least I don't think that's what they did, at least from the outside. They shut down their stores for one day in May and said, we've got to fix a problem that we have because this instance wasn't necessarily the problem with this one instance. This instance highlighted a deeper issue we have. Now, whether you like Starbucks or not, that's not the point. Or whether they actually followed through, or whether they were doing it for a PR thing, I don't know. But I like their approach. They said this pointed to something within us that's really the problem. And I think as Christians, living in this world of constant spin, constant image management, constant curating of words, that we can be tempted to say, well, if I can just get my words right, people will think the right things about me. Instead of saying, no, no, my wrong words point to a deeper problem within me, and that's that I am not where I need to be with the Lord. I am not where I need to be in my relationship with God. And so you say, well, what are the words of a Christian supposed to look like? Well, here's just a couple of scriptures to kind of let you know. Here's the talk about talk. Ephesians chapter 429 says, let no corrupting talk. Say that second word with me. Let no corrupting talk. That's a pretty, that's a pretty substantial word there. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Just pause on that verse for a minute. I'll just give you a second to reflect on the last couple days. Maybe just this morning. Your words, have they all been good for building up? Have they all given grace to the people that I've spoken to? Has there been any corrupting talk that comes out of my mouth? Another scripture. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Just pause for a moment. Think back on your words from the last week. My words from the last week, as I think back, have all my words been consistent with the image of my creator? Uh, my words, the words that Jesus would speak to that colleague at work, 
to your husband, to your wife, to your son, your daughter, to your mother, your father, to those people around the table on Thursday that I don't see very often and we don't get along that well. Were my words consistent with my creator? Another one. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. My speech always gracious? Mm, That can be a tough one. Is my speech always gracious? So here's the thing, though. That's what our speech should be like. And we can hear that and we can say, I'm never going to get that right. And you know what? You're not. Here's the good news. You're not. I suppose it's good news. The good news is coming. The truth is you're not. Because it says this, right? I mean, we just read it. uh, That if anyone is able not to stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. And then a little later... But no human being can tame the tongue. You can't do it. You'll never be perfect in all of your words. You'll never get every single word right. You'll never curate your image perfectly. You'll never take care of it. You'll never go and not have a stray word. But that being the case, the thing is my job is not to speak right. My job is to get my heart right. And if I can get my heart right with God, then more and more the words that come out of my mouth will represent who God is. I remember listening to um, a Christian musician speak one time. His name's Lecrae. Maybe you're familiar with some of his music. You know Lecrae? Yeah, Aaron knows Lecrae. You want to do some Lecrae songs sometimes? I like. (laughs) I I was listening to Lecrae speak one time. And he was talking about when he was growing up as a kid and he was hanging, you know, with some people that didn't necessarily follow God. It was the time of his life when he wasn't necessarily following God. And they were going down a street and they were blaring some music that was vulgar and had all kinds of misogynistic language and swears and all this stuff that's in it. And they're blaring it and they go and suddenly his friend turns the music down. And they go a little ways and turns the music back up. And he does it like two or three times. And the crane's like, man, what are you doing? Turn the music down. And he points over to the side of the road. He says, that's the Lord's house. And they turn it down every time they pass in front of a church. And they turn it back up. And there's some thinking within us that somehow it's simply the words that we speak at a right moment at really what matters. Well, we can't offend God, so we'll speak this way in God's house, but then we'll speak a different way when we're not in God's house. You know, when I'm in church this morning, I've got a certain set of language I'll use, but in the office tomorrow, I've got a different vocabulary. And James says, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. These things ought not be so. And I think his language is even stronger than that. I think his language is saying, if this is the case, then you've really got to check whether you are following Christ or not because you can't get fig trees from an olive tree. The fruit that you're yielding is an indication of where your heart is at. And if my words are not in line with who the God is I serve, with whose I am, then maybe there's a problem with where I am with the Lord. 
And I'll tell you also, while we're on it with words, you know, I think as Christians, sometimes I see this trend going on that we want to take advantage or I would say even abuse our liberty in our language and say, well, it's not going to send me to hell so I can cuss or I can do this or I can tell this kind of joke. And yet the non-Christian says, I thought you were a Christian. And they're judging and saying, I thought you were a Christian. I didn't know Christians could say that. I didn't know Christians could tell those kinds of jokes. And they're the ones convicting us. And I think what James is saying, take a look at your speech. Look, why would you do it? Why would you have any corrupting talk come out of your mouth? You're not going to eliminate it completely. We're all going to fall and stumble in what we say. But the moment I do, I should look at it and say, what is this saying about where I am with God? Not, oh, I got to speak better around these people. Oh, I've got to be more careful with my word. No. What is it in my heart that causes that word or that thought or that, those things to come out? Because what you say not only says something about who you are, it says something about whose you are. And so if there is an issue with our words, the solution is not to be more careful about our words. The solution is to pay closer attention to where we are with the Lord. And as we close this morning and take some time to reflect on this, I want to close by thinking about Jesus for a second. Because Jesus comes to the end of his life, and he has what we look at as his words on the cross, right? He's at the end of his life being crucified, and we have these words on the cross that are recorded of his. And I think the words, when a person is in a time of duress, or when a person is coming to the end of their life on earth, you're, you're going to say who you really are. I mean, you don't care what people think at that moment. You're not trying to be careful at that moment. What's in you is going to come out of you. And what comes out of Jesus in that moment? What comes out of him is his mission, his love for God, his love for people. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's praying for the people crucifying him. Speaking to John, son, here is your mother. Speaking to Mary, mother, here is your son. He's taking care of the people that were in his care. It is finished. He's talking about doing his father's will. In that moment of duress and at the end of his life, the words that he uses betray the heart that he has. I want my words to betray the heart that I have for God. As a Christian, our words should show the heart that we have for God. They should show others, and they should show that here's a person who loves God and follows him. That's the power that your words have. You're not going to get it perfect all the time. But the closer we get to God, the more our words will be consistent with who he is. And what if that's the case? What if, what if, instead of trying to sound more like the people around us, we would be a people who would sound more like the God that we serve, whose words are full of grace and truth and mercy 
such that people that work around you, they may not say it in front of other people, but they get you alone and they say, you're different. I feel good when I'm around you. You encourage me when other people are tearing me down. They say, what is it about you that makes you different? And then you and I in that moment would say, well, it's not who I am. It's whose I am that makes the difference. It's not who I am that makes any difference in my speech. It's whose I am that makes the difference. And let me tell you about him. What if our words and the way that we speak to people would draw people to God and would draw him into who he is? And that's what James is saying. Don't let blessing and cursing come out of your mouth. Don't bless God in one moment and curse those that are made in his image in another. Let your words point to whose you are. Draw people to him. That last section, wisdom from above, that I read, I think the point of it is this. The wisdom of the words that we speak, life comes from above. It comes from God. It's not something you generate. Galatians chapter 5 has the list of the fruit of the Spirit, and it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The most important and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Go back to that first slide of that scripture. I think the most important words of this scripture are this, fruit of the spirit. Not fruit of you trying harder. Not fruit of you studying so you can get it right. Not fruit of of your effort, your pull up your bootstraps. Fruit of the Spirit. So if you've got the Spirit of God in your life, these things are going to come out and they're going to come out in the words that we speak. So if my words are wrong, it's probably because I don't have enough of God's Spirit in my life right now. And let me draw closer to you. I challenge you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And I'm going to pray. Once you guys come up, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a time as they're singing the, the song. I'm going to give you a time just to sit. I mean, want you to stand. Just sit and reflect and think about the words of this past week that you have spoken and what they have said about whose you are. Not to put you under some, oh, I've got to be more careful about my words. Remember, it's not about being more careful about your words. It's about getting closer to God. And I give you this exercise to think about. Who's on your agenda for tomorrow? What's your tomorrow look like? Monday for you. Who's on your schedule that you're going to interact with tomorrow? You already got an appointment on your schedule. Maybe it's somebody at work or maybe you're going to an appointment. Maybe you get a doctor's appointment. Maybe you... Maybe you're going to see family. Maybe you're going to see friends. Maybe you're gonna, Who is on your schedule tomorrow? And then here's my challenge for you tomorrow and every day. That you would start your day in your prayer time by bringing those people before the Lord in prayer. God, I'm going to uh, the doctors today and I'm going to see, you know, Dr. Smith. And, you know, I, I, want, I want to pray for him. 
And I want to bring him before you and I want you to bless him and I want you to just touch his life. God, I've got that meeting with Joe today later on and Lord, would you help me in that meeting? Lord, I've got that time that I'm going to meet with Sarah over coffee and would you... And here's why. Here's why. Because I think it's hard to be careless with your words to people if you've brought them before the Lord in prayer. I think if I have spent that morning praying for you, that it's going to be much harder for me to have careless, hurtful, harmful, ungracious words around you later in the day. I get my heart right with God about you. I'm going to be better with my words and my relationship with you. I think it's hard. So it's, it's, it's not getting your words right. It's getting your heart right. They're going to sing a song that's going to talk about that. But Lord, we want to get closer to you. It's not about me laboring under this burden that I can get every single word out of my mouth right. Would you just be free of that this morning? And focus more on, God, can I get right with you? And if I would get right with you, then the fruit of my mouth and the fruit of my life will be what you want it to be. Lord, speak to us. God, I pray for every man and woman in this room who is feeling convicted right now about the words that they have spoken. God, I pray that as we come to you that you would just send your grace. Allow us to receive your forgiveness and your mercy. To recognize that we are not perfect and have not been perfect in what we say. But let us not miss the lesson. Let us not miss what you are trying to teach us. That there's places in our lives that have not been touched enough by you yet. There's been places in our lives where we are not close enough to you. Teach us and lead us. In Jesus' name.